passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. When Ryan when it's time to begin, it's on the rewind around with John Pollock and waiting the 18. That makes sense that these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's rewind around for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's rewind around for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewind a Raw. I'm John Pollock along with Waiting. How are you, Way? I'm falling apart as this year comes to an end. I'm maybe I'm out of my uh, talking for the year. I didn't budget it accordingly, and here I have a week to go, and I can't pronounce anything. We've reached our quota. Wow. Uh, well, I, I we might have reached our quota just this week from the amount of time you and I have talked. Yeah, we've done we've done a quite a bit of pre-recording, I, I would say. But you know what? Um, I I think you can make it through for at least another hour and a half. Is my prediction. Well, let's hope so. Uh, we have uh, a bit to discuss from tonight's Raw, tonight's taped Raw, and then a couple bonus reviews coming at the end of the show because, wait, I had some I had some free time today. So you know what I did? I, I watched some stuff. So Oh, we can even call these some double shot reviews. Yeah, it, it kind of feels like a double shot. Today was not a, a crazy uh, news day. Um, really, like all day, it was – there was very little going on, and then we got uh, – the tragic news of uh, the Mexican star, uh, Mr. Niebla, passing away at 46. So we do have a bio of that up on the site. That would be uh, the most prominent news item today, though. But uh, how how are you doing, Way? I'm doing well. doing well. I, I feel like, a, you know, some of the festive spirit in that I think a lot of people seem to be um, a bit slower to respond to, like, emails, which, like, I'm not upset about at all. I kind of like it. Like, it, it tells me everybody is sort of, like, in a bit more of a carefree mood. You're such a relaxed person. I think the world could use a bit more. Uh, I bit, agree. A bit of relaxing, usually. You know what? They should. Everyone needs to chill out a bit. That goes for everybody. Yes. Yes. If someone doesn't get back to you, it's like, all right, you know what? A week from now, am I going to care about this? Is this going to be a big deal? No, it's not. Person's going to get back to me at some point. It's going to be fine. I'm not even going to think about this ever again. So why am I upset? I suppose it depends on the issue, you know. Like well, it. certainly. I, I've said this before, though. I think that any problem you have, honestly, 90% of the problems that we have on a yearly basis, I would say, are are small things in the grand scheme of things. 90%? That is that is the percentile. Well, it's going gonna, it's gonna to fluctuate depending on, on what maybe kind of life you live. Maybe 88% this year, 88.7. I would guarantee you, if you went back and you picked uh, this week from 2018 – and you picked one of our podcasts from that week. I guarantee you, you and I complained about something. And I bet if we were to listen back now, we would probably not even have any memory of this at all. And that was an item that bothered us to the point that we had to complain about it to one another. I don't know. 
I, I know what you're saying. We also complain about a lot of really frivolous things, like car honking. Um, okay, let, let's make it... You know what we should do? You know what would have been a great idea for the year end? And we don't have time for this. We're, we're all maxed out of time. But to go back to the past year and look at everything that was deemed a controversy at some point in time in, in the wrestling world, something that was like a major story for a day or two that... You know what I remember from right around Christmas or New Year's last year was that Priscilla Kelly tampon spot. Do you remember that? Oh, I do. Yeah. Remember how silly like that is in in hindsight that that was a thing for that was a 24-hour story. The business is it, it, ruining the business. It was very silly, yeah. Um so this year I feel like there are plenty of things to choose from this year. And I'm not trying to offset. There are there are real controversies out there, but that's my whole point is that I think that we should Sometimes look at what what are big stories and then what are silly ones that just kind of live off of Twitter fumes. Okay, so uh, what would one of those stories be to you? A, uh, an important story? No, something that, that uh, felt like a big story but really isn't. Oh, well, I'd have to give it some thought, but that one comes to mind immediately. Um, I got one. Okay. The Dark Order guy punching the air. Wait, that one... You got my real-time reaction to that on one of our shows, and I already looked at that one as, like, a silly one, and it was, yes, that's a perfect example of one. It's like, okay, that, does, it, does it put this uh, moment in a great light? Absolutely not. Is it something that anybody should be losing sleep over? Not at all. No, that was a loose one. I wouldn't even really classify that one as a story. But Yeah, no, it was. It was. That's a perfect example of what I'm trying to talk about. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a very good one. Um, and when I get to my comments on being the elite, maybe you will find out how they incorporated. Actually, I, I, I did see the beginning, so it was okay. very funny. Well, you did. They're, they're very good at finding, uh, at laughing at themselves and using it for their own amusement. Mm-hmm. Well, um, should we talk about what is coming up? There is no, there's no holiday here at Post Wrestling this week. We have... A big schedule of shows, including Tuesday Way, 2 p.m. Eastern Time. We are dropping our annual Christmas show. Christmas show, December 24th, as is the tradition. Uh, a new format this year, from what I understand. That is what, uh, that's what the rumor is. So Ooh. what is this new format that everyone is in store for? Are Way and I going to make it through this format? Find out on Tuesday. Uh, but also on the rumor mill. Uh, it was interesting because we used to have a show on this site called Keep It 2000. And, you know, just out of uh, reverence for the two people behind that show, I've always kept their feed. I've always remained subscribed to their feed on iTunes. And I, I just wonder if maybe one day it's going to pay off that something's going to fall from the sky on this feed and be like a, a secret Christmas present. Under the tree that I didn't notice, and boom, there it is. So I would I would never unsubscribe to this feed. In fact, if I'm listening to this right now, I would want to subscribe to that feed just in case something falls from the sky and you want to catch it. Satellites do stay in orbit, you know. Sometimes they never go. They, they never they, go down. They may be classified um, as partial space junk at some point, but nonetheless, I think still very much in operation. The satellite of hate. So if you if somebody were to go and subscribe to Keep It Two Thousand 
on their iTunes, Stitcher, podcasts, whatever podcast catching app, they might even find a special transmission. Yeah, you might open it and just say to yourself, man. What? Well, that's his last name. Oh, oh, got it. Uh, Very man, nice. I, I, I'm, tell me when I start to sound like uh, Jerry Lawler on this show. Oh, my God, the uh, the Christmas jokes on this show. You got some years left, um, I would say. Oh, but I don't know. But, I've Tonight was a realization of what I may sound like. But listen, it's the Christmas season, so everybody is coming through, uh, hoping to send a message to all of their listeners. And that, of course, includes Brian Mann, Nate Milton, our great friends, the former host of Keep It 2000, who, um, again, might have left a special present under the tree for all of you guys in your Keep It 2000 feed. So do check out for that. Uh, so the week continues. We've got the Christmas show dropping uh, Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern time. So Christmas Eve, that can be your your listening right there. If you have to go to mass, you can put your ear, earbuds on and boom, there you go. Very exciting. On Wednesday, spend time with your family. It's Christmas. On Thursday. Wait a second. Wait. Will Up Next not be doing something? Up Next, uh, they are on their... Patreon feed, I believe they're doing a Star Wars review. Oh, okay, gotcha. Excellent. There will not be a new up next this week. Well, good. I'm very happy to hear that. Yes, they will not be doing the uh, the tape. Enjoy your break. Edition. Enjoy your break, BDE. Much deserved. Yes. Then on Thursday, we've got Ask Away. It's our final mailbag show of the year, so if you're a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, you can check out the Ask Away show. Friday, we've got the British Wrestling Experience being invaded by the Grapple Spotlight podcast as all of them, JP and Joe Lemon joining Benno, Martin, and Jamesy for a year-end show looking at the entire uh, British, Irish, all the European wrestling scenes. And what happened this year? Uh, is Brit Rez dead? That will be the question that is answered at the end of that show. You know, this threat is so heavy. It's so big that we needed to assemble the... Uh, British wrestling podcast um, uh, Avengers all into one group and hopefully um, I've man it's been so long since I've seen that movie what do they do at the end there uh, they put hopefully they'll put on their quantum realm suits and uh, rewind the British wrestling clock yeah they all get together and yell Gallus assemble uh, yeah Sorry, it didn't really work out. Well, you tried, nonetheless. Uh, so that that will be a fantastic show on Friday. That is my bold prediction. On Saturday, uh, Way is going to be solo doing Rewind to SmackDown. Uh, he has graciously uh, uh, allowed me uh, Saturday off as I will be uh, not present. So, Way, I very much appreciate You'll be that. enjoying your presence from Christmas. Uh, very true. Very true. And thus, I will owe Way one. So he can hold that over me, and then there's going to come a week when he's like, I'm out, see ya, and then I will uh, I will repay the favor to Way. And then Sunday, we've got a new Thunderstruck. Uh, this week, it is going to be uh, WH Park being joined by Striga, as they will be continuing the look back at Jushin Thunder Liger's career, which, amazingly, is going to be over in two weeks. Wow, that's very close. Very close. I believe they did a bit of an exchange this week. I didn't Striga... 
Yeah, WH is on the uh, Eastern Lariat podcast this week with with, uh, Striga and our friend Dylan Fox. Look at this. It's almost like a secret Santa, you know? Like, oh, who did you get on your podcast? I got WH Park. Oh, really? I got WH Park, too. There's no borders in our our podcast world. We don't have any, uh, well, you can't work for this person, and we don't have a working relationship with that person. It's like, we... Everyone, everyone gets along, or at least that should be the goal. I think so. So do check out the Eastern Lariat podcast with WH Park, who, uh, spoiler alert, maybe, uh, well, tune into the Christmas show. A very, I very would say, popular uh, man. Let's be honest. I, he, we, we have been lapped by WH Park, you and I. I would say a source of inspiration for many, uh, many uh, <laughs> uh, a piece of art, including uh, some of our Christmas jingles coming up in the, in the Christmas show. Yeah, we we got to lock that guy down to a long term deal. I feel like everyone's going to be out for WH Park. He's just he's just exploding. I just want the fashion critique. Yeah, he's a uh, he's our man. For I that. want a, a personal fashion critique. Like maybe I should just take a photo of my outfit every morning, send it to WH, and just get his opinion. <laughs> Dude, can't fucking wear that down to Tokyo. You it's flame flame pants. Shit. What are you thinking, way? Fuck. <laughs> um. And I believe that wraps up the shows this week. So, everybody, we look forward to uh, speaking to all of you this week and tuning into all of the shows. Of course, Way and I are going to be going off to Japan next week, fast approaching, and we'll be doing lots of bonus shows there. So, uh, if you want to wait until the first, uh, it's a great time to join the Post Wrestling Cafe. There will be lots of extra content uh, from our trip to Japan uh, that you'll want to tune into, as well as our. Wrestle Kingdom coverage and all the other shows that we are going to be seeing. I went to the bank today, way, and they told me, "Yeah, we don't have any Japanese yen here." Like, all right, do you have any any solutions for me? No. Nope. Okay. Cool. Bye. And that was it. That was it. It was a very yeah. short and to the point discussion. I was like, "Great, great job, bank." I'm sorry to hear that. Um, I I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wing it. You'll we'll be see. fine. You'll be fine. I, I, I'm not too worried about it. WH, I, I do have some. WH will pay for everything. It's all good. I feel WH is the kind of guy that's like, they just they just uh, let you in. They like give you a wink. They're like, yeah, we're with WH. Guy runs the city. Pretty much, yeah. All right. All, our whole, entire schedule is up at postwrestling.com, as is a uh, quick little uh, bio I wrote of uh, Mr. Niebla, if you want to read about that. It's a... Uh, Kind of a sad story of a guy who was a, a super talent who started wrestling at the age of 17 in 1990. Uh, he went through many, many different names before settling on uh, Mr. Niebla, which meant uh, Mr. Fogg, uh, in around 1992. And he predominantly wrestled for CMLL in his career, but he did have a brief stint in AAA in late 2007, early 2008. One of his most famous matches was at the CMLL anniversary show in 1999, unmasking Shocker, who was a former uh, tag team partner of his as well. And, you know, as his career progressed, uh, it was, you know, his personal problems that really stunted his career. He was open about the fact he was an alcoholic and drinking played a big factor on his career over the last number of years. He was part of the Fantastic Mania series of shows that CMLL and New Japan do every year. He went over there to Japan, went missing, and ended up being hospitalized and ended up being fired by CMLL for that. And then he had several several stints uh, coming and going with CMLL with his issues getting in the way of him. Last year, he 
had his license suspended in Mexico City when he was in a match and was in no condition to be performing, and they kind of had to uh, pretty much just come up with a way to get him out of the match, and that took him off the anniversary show last year. He had been wrestling pretty regularly this year up until October, and then he had been hospitalized, and it's believed he died due to a blood infection. So only 46 years of age and someone that, you know, he had he had a lot of problems, and it's very unfortunate because he was a, a tremendous talent. So it's always very sad when someone's passing away from those circumstances and at such a young age of 46. That is very young. Very, very tragic. AEW made an announcement that they've added a tag match with Cody and Dustin against Pentagon Jr. and Ray Phoenix. This won't be until the January 8th episode uh, when they're running in Memphis. So uh, looking ahead to that one. So that will be the week after Jacksonville. And um, yeah, they've got... Are are you expecting a big show on January 1st in terms of uh, people tuning in that day? Do you think that New Year's Day is going to be a success for AEW, or do you think that's a tough night for them? I'm sensing it's a bit of a tougher night. You know, I just, you know, coupled with the fact that I think people are going to be skipping out this Wednesday, you're kind of out of the groove. I And I, I don't know if, if exactly AEW is kind of leaving people with that much anticipation for what they have uh, to follow up on from their last week's episode. So... Um, I, I, I sense that it's still very much a bit of a holiday schedule for a lot of people and therefore not necessarily back into the routine of watching a wrestling on, on a Wednesday, but, uh, they will be unopposed, won't they? On January 1st? No, the, uh, NXT will have Sorry, a the, show. The, the awards, I guess. Yeah, they're going to be, there will be some matches that they've taped. I think they're taping stuff this week at SmackDown. But it's not going to be a live show that they're going against. So I would think that AEW is going to have people's attention that night just being the live show. Yeah. Unless people want to tune in for the year-end awards, which you can also do Tuesday night on Christmas Eve at 11 p.m. on FS1 for WWE Backstage. I mean, maybe that's going to draw a ton of people who who are going to win all these awards. Um, You know, I'll, I'll be DVRing all that. All that. Well, you you won't be able to watch it. Not in Canada. You're gonna have to hunt oh, it down find ways. some other way. Yeah. I'll have ways. Okay. I got a special all right. DVR. All right. Uh, you can also go to postwrestling.com. Check out all of the news. Andrew Thompson has a uh, tremendous update up today, including uh, a story uh, Jerry Lawler talking about calling uh, last Monday's marathon taping, which we got the second half of tonight. Which Lawler noted the fact that they called. 20 matches last Monday night, and because they were racing to get everything done, there were no commercial breaks, so they didn't even get like a a little reprieve uh, to just have a, have a bit of a breather during some of these matches. It was pretty much just go, go, go for however long it was, about five and a half hours of tapings that they did last Monday, so that, that was the negative part. I will say I'm... I think it's great, though, that they got so much time off uh, during the holidays that they've been off since last Monday and they're not back until Thursday. I think for most of the guys, that would be just what a welcome break to have. Yeah, it sounds wonderful. Yeah. Um, I wonder what I wonder what some of these wrestlers did. All the road. Maybe that could be all the podcasts. That's what I want to know. Yeah, it it is something to note the fact that, you know, with all the money USA Network is is paying that. They certainly probably could have pushed their weight around and said, hey, no, we want a live show tonight. It's uh, 
It's two days before Christmas. They can go home on Christmas Eve. We want a live show. We don't want a seven-day tape delay show. So I think credit to them that all, all sides were able to come up with this idea and, you know, give these people a much-deserved break. I mean, just for your own sanity. Like, you're on the road nonstop. I think to have just a gap like this can probably do just wonders to have a semblance of a regular holiday. My feeling is that in the ratings, it won't make that big of a difference. No, if anything, I think it's the the football game was going to kill them tonight, regardless of whether it was live or taped. So I, I don't know how much live versus taped was going to make a, a gigantic difference. It'll probably make some, but I think that football game tonight with the uh, the Vikings and Green Bay was going to be an enormous game regardless. So, um, yeah, we we could get the lowest watched Raw of the year tonight. That would not be shocking. And and really, this is a number this week is not a not a big one to draw any conclusions from. What did you think of the set? We had the Christmas decorated set and a very fast turnaround from last week's Raw to get this. All, all suddenly, it's uh, two days before Christmas and the set had to reflect it. Honestly, I didn't think too much of it. I mean, what did we have? Like, presents? It was snowing. It was snowing. Oh, there was, there was snow there? Rusev wow. even noted it. You know what? That's a Christmas miracle. Um, complete thumbs up to this show, just based on that. Uh, thumbs up to all the video packages on this show. There were plenty of them. Uh, starting with the most in-depth video we could get on ke- the history of Kevin Owens and Seth Rollins. And we cut to the ring, and Owens is about to speak when Mojo Rawley comes out. And now Mojo Rawley is allowed to speak. His manager's gone. Yeah, nothing came of that. I have no idea why we even needed it that one week. It almost felt like they just didn't want Mojo to talk, and they had more faith in Sami Zayn. And then, I mean, Mojo was fine here. So Sami Zayn said that he has a dual contract now with Raw and SmackDown, yet on this episode just did not show up. So um, I don't know if they're going to pick that back up or if that that was something that was quickly dropped. I, I don't see any reason why you need to have someone on both shows. So hopefully it's something that is just never referenced again. Mojo wanted an explanation for the pipe attack and asked Kevin, you know what your problem is? And Owens said, well, I have at least seven problems. And Owens was just like, had an answer for everything. Whenever Mojo would speak, he was just cutting him off. Mojo says that everyone is tough when they have a steel pipe, but now they have a no DQ match. Owens had always already pointed out that they were about to have a no DQ match. So he made that point known. And then Mojo brought up Kevin's family and I don't know what happened at the end here, but this was heavily edited and I think uh, sweetened. Felt that it way. sounded like a very awkward end to this promo. Felt like he was, whatever he had to say was a, seemingly cut short. No real punchline, no real call for applause, yet all of a sudden at the end of the set, it was just like, yeah. Yeah, it and was. It just seemed to come out of nowhere. So, you know, this... I love these tape shows to listen to, like where it's so clear that they have uh, played with the uh, the crowd noise. Well, you got to cut time out of some some place, right? Um, certainly, it wasn't going to be some of these matches because they felt like they they kept all of that intact. But um, you know, as far as Mojo goes, this was his b- biggest speaking role in months, seemingly. You know, since he got to talk in maybe front of years, the, dude. Well, he got to t- do all that talking in front of the mirror, and they dropped that. Um, you know, he shows a lot of comfort on the microphone. Unfortunately, this was hardly any material where he got to showcase any anything substantial. This was just. You know, really forgettable. He was here to job to Owens. So they had a no DQ match. This was not to be confused with a miracle on 34th Street Fight. 
This was just a no DQ match. So it means no Lego. No Lego, no Christmas trees, no candy cane kendo the, the, sticks. The Lego was actually the second time, I believe. They did a 34th Street fight last year with Lego. Oh, wow. It's a tradition yeah. then. Yeah. So the craziest spot of this match, they set up four chairs in the in the middle of the ring, and Owens, uh, Mojo goes for a superplex. Owens headbutts him off, but then Mojo flips Owens off the top, and this dude lands on the four unfolded chairs. Yeah. In I, this match, on this show. Oh, yeah, I know. On a Christmas edition of, uh, of Raw, this man is, like, killing himself. And I was I, complaining about how dangerous some of the stunts were at TLC, and this was a, what literally will be probably one of the lowest-watched Raws in, like, this era. And this guy just took, like, what, what a... God bless you for having the need to think that this is what this match needs. But man, what? <laughs> he, did, he didn't have a match at TLC, and I guess he was—he thought he felt like he was missing out. So, yeah, you yeah. know what? My my back's feeling okay. What's what's the matter with this? <laughs> I I the spot it is what it is. I think you know Kevin Owens is certainly the type of, especially as a babyface right now, he's the type to who I think endears himself to the audience with the amount of sacrifice he kind of gives to his own body, similar to somebody like a McFoley, but also like McFoley, I certainly worry about the accumulative, accumulative damage he's been taking throughout his entire career for just, you know, a forgettable spot like this. What I hated the most about it though, was the fact that like it not only just resulted in a two count 10 seconds later, Owens is just getting up, delivering super kicks, swantons as if like that giant bump on the chairs really meant nothing. Yeah, it was just it was it was not even a memorable portion of the match that led to anything. Um, Samoa Joe said that when he first met Kevin Owens, Owens was wrestling in the meanest and most vile promotions in Quebec. Just to emphasize what a I guess uh, background this man has. So there's a table set up. Owens hit a stunner and then a pop up, putting Raleigh through the table and won in six twenty five. I thought it was like a satisfying, hardcore, brief, hardcore match with a lot of big bumps, you know. Um, I can certainly understand the idea to go with this sort of plunder match with table breaks to try to wake this crowd back up after the first set of tapings and also to kind of jolt the audience into tuning into this edition of Raw for the first time um, or or being the first match on this particular show. Again, Owens really kind of killed himself here with a number of big spots, ended up drawing a bit of blood onto himself. so he made it entertaining. You know, again, you just kind of worry. Did this did this uh, finish in your top 11 matches on Raw tonight? Did it hit the top 10? It hit the top 10 for sure. Yeah. Yes. Um, we could actually do a top 10 tonight of matches. Were there 10 matches? Dude, there were 11. 11 tonight. Oh, wow. Well, this would definitely be up there. Sure. This, would, this was definitely uh, the higher end. So, um, yeah, for a six and a half minute uh, match and... Um, you know, entertaining for what it was, but man, a very, very demanding spot from Kevin Owens on a, a spot that will likely be forgotten by the next segment. He then says he's got more fight left in him and he wants Seth Rollins and AOP to come out. He had some cut. I don't know if it was on his finger or something, but he just smeared this blood over his face and said part of his charm is making bad decisions and he's not going to leave until they come back from the back. So we go to break. We're waiting for them. Uh, there was a promo for NXT this Wednesday. This week's NXT is too big for one building. 
is how they're promoting this because there will be ma- – yeah, this is what it said. It's Very too creative. big for one building. So there will be matches from Full Sail and the Barclays Center. I think this podcast has always been too big for one building. That's why we do it through Skype. Yeah, no one can contain us, Way We are uh, – who, who's living at Barclays and who's living at Full Sail? Um, I would say you you've got the Barclays. I don't know. You're 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 in the largest uh, what com- complex between us? Okay, if you include the whole building. I mean, I'm in a condo. You're in a house. But all right, fine. Rollins and AOP come out. Rollins told Owens not to listen to the people, and he offers his hand. And Owens super kicks him in response. Goes for a chair, and AOP just beats the shit out of him. Samoa Joe says that he comes from a long line of bad men, such as my father. But AOP are not bad men. They are thugs. And says, you strike first against guys like that so that you can write your own story. Or else things are going to get dark around here. Samoa Joe was my favorite part of this show. This was a a straight-up wrestling promo from Samoa Joe delivered from the announce desk. And I I found it really interesting the way they uh, built Samoa Joe up here. Almost, you know... I mean, I had read spoilers beforehand, so this didn't really come as big of a surprise to me. But I, I was, I still found it very novel to see it in execution. The way that they are basically maneuvering Samoa Joe from the announce desk into a, a wrestling role again through cutting a promo uh, on on the heels from the position of a analyst. Then we went to New York City for the first of twenty three vignettes involving our truth. He is with the 24-7 title, and he's at Rockefeller Center. And he stops someone, and he is searching for the Dwayne the Rock Johnson Christmas tree. And the person looks at his directions, and he says, those directions are in Japanese, sir. And informs him that it's not the Dwayne the Rock Johnson Center. It's the Rockefeller Center with the Rockefeller Christmas tree. Mm-hmm. and then. A man comes out from the crowd, rolls up R-Truth, wins the title, and it is Akira Tozawa, who I think I made this bold prediction a few weeks ago that this would be his his lot, and it seems like he has officially arrived in the 24-7 division and looks to be a staple of it after tonight. Looks to be, yeah. Yeah, so um, congratulations to him. This is like a second Christmas miracle. Gets his uh, second title reign, I believe, in the WWE next to the cruiserweight belt. So, um, big things in his future. Huge. And he got a trip to New York out of it. Awesome. Bobby Lashley and Cedric Alexander, they were heavily promoting next week's wedding between Bobby Lashley and Lana in Hartford. They explained that Cedric is looking for some momentum to take him into the new year. Uh, Alexander hit him with some strikes and... Lana gets into the ring and says, who the hell do you think you are? Next day, next week is the most important day of my life, and I can't have Bobby bruised next week. So she proposes a Greco-Roman wrestling match between the two and talks about how she's the smartest woman in the world. They come back from break. Vic Joseph asks, asks Jerry Lawler if he has any advice for Bobby Lashley and his wedding next week. Lawler says, I've had many weddings, but no anniversaries. So, no, I don't have any advice. Hey, so at this point, like, Lashley was still outside of the ring this entire time, right? When Lana was in there. 
Yes. And then they went through the commercial. So, so why was the last lead not counted out? Well, the referee was mesmerized by Lana. Fine. I guess so. He so his count. Maybe they're, they're considered an item. So she broke the count. Okay. And so she's su- suggesting a Greco-Roman match. Yes. That I guess we weren't supposed to take seriously. No, no. I thought they were going to come back from commercial break to restart the match as a Greco-Roman wrestling match. No, Cedric didn't take her up on the offer, so we just had a normal wrestling match for the rest of this. So the match basically just continued. Yes, this is just our way to go to a commercial break. Lashley was blowing kisses to the people. Then Lashley got knocked to the floor. He was hit with a dive, of which Lawler said, who does he think he is? Rudolph? Flying around here? He caught Alexander, spun him off his shoulders, sets up for the spear, but gets drop kicked in the knee. Then he catches Cedric with a choke slam and spears him for the victory. And Lashley wins and did not appear to be bruised. Did not appear to be bruised. He was that bruised? That was Lana's concern. Was oh. that he would get bruised for right. the wedding photos. So right, he you. seemed to be okay. Yeah, the match was fine. It was a very formulaic WWE TV match. I thought both men played their roles well. Um, but in pretty much immediately forgettable match otherwise. I thought Lana's promo mid-match really threw me off and pretty much took me out of it. You know, um, I wanted to see a Greco-Roman wrestling match between these I'm two. I'm sorry, Way. Uh, that, plus, like, the lack of count-out, I just thought it was just a real overthought attempt to just go to commercial break. Maybe Lashley should have beaten Cedric in a Greco-Roman wrestling match, and this becomes his gimmick. And then, come WrestleMania time, he's got the perfect opponent. Roman and a Greek person? Well, Lashley would become the Greek person by somehow. Maybe Lana's like half Greek and we're we're just not aware of it. She's like Russian slash Greek slash American. I think they could get Nikos Rikos, whatever that guy's name is. Okay, that that could be an idea as well. Charlie's with Rollins and AOP. He defends his actions and turns the tables and says, why is Kevin Owens constantly picking a fight with them? It's his fault. Tozawa is by the fountain in New York. Uh, Our truth is with a referee. They knock over someone's food and Tozawa apologizes to the person in Japan and blames our truth and truth can understand this. So we learn that truth now knows Japanese from his notes earlier. So maybe he got this app that I have and he's... They must, he's have, the person. they must have had like a shared Duolingo accounts running through the back of Raw with Becky and Truth brushing up on their Japanese this episode. So the uh, the plot thickens between Tozawa and R-Truth. More I, to come tonight. I could just imagine like, you know, them, like the, the these two and whoever the producers were and the camera guys walking through New York trying to think of like New York things to do. And I guess, okay, Rockefeller Center with the Christmas tree. Yeah. Hot dogs. <laughs> they ate that in hot in New York. Um, what was the third thing they did? Like of all the things you could have found in Manhattan to oh to they shoot. they were they were going down in the the horse and carriage. Oh, all right. Maybe maybe they pitched an idea to show up on Saturday Night Live and uh, do a title switch on SNL. What what would that have been met with? Like, does Eddie Murphy want to win the twenty four seven title? I really don't doubt that that they might have already knocked on that door. They do have associates in um. What are their name? Colin Jost and uh, Michael Che. Yeah, I, I think Lauren Michaels would be. Huh, that's that's a great idea. Maybe maybe next season, guys. We'll we'll see. Yeah. We're we're kind of busy. 
Zack Ryder, Drew McIntyre. Uh, two minutes, three seconds. Drew murdered this guy with a Claymore. And then after the match, hit him with a Future Shock DDT, hit Hawkins with the Claymore, and then Drew did this whole promo pretending to be Ryder and Hawkins, putting over himself, and then said that 2020 belongs to him, which I maybe I'm conflating this with someone else, but I remember a year ago, the like right at Christmas time, Drew was feuding with Dolph Ziggler after the two were paired, and I'm almost certain that Drew McIntyre cut this promo about 2019 being his, but maybe I'm mistaken. You would pretty much imagine it, right? Because it's really been a year of nothing for Drew. Not in any bigger of a spot this year than last. You could even argue that he's regressed. Uh, I th- I would say so. This guy this guy worked Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, and like it just feels all year long. The theme of him is: Are they going to pull the trigger on this guy? It's he's been protected, but he's he's just regressed by being not focused upon. Like I don't he is know, someone. I don't know if you call protect like. Yes, he hasn't taken big pinfall losses, but he's been made into a background character many a time. Like there was a running, I thought there it was like a running joke, the, the the number of people that would interrupt his matches as he would just like vanish into the background without telling anybody. To me, that's a bigger burial than, you know, um, straight up like even losing and getting some focus afterwards. You're just mm-hmm. invisible. I thought that was worse. I would I would say him and Alistair Black have been similar this year. I think they've been off to the sidelines and they can reheat them up, but they have been in that position for a long time that fans start to kind of see them as non-integral parts of the show. So that's where and I think Drew has fallen further down that that hole this past year. And and I don't know if you can necessarily just snap your fingers and suddenly insert this guy into a prominent role at this point. I think it might take some work. I think so, too. I think it'll take a bit of evolution, a bit of changing up of the character. Uh, otherwise, you know, and there's actual... much to the character. I yeah. mean, it's like I... if this guy were to go in and win the Royal Rumble, I think that would feel very flat. It'd be pretty cold. You know, I, I, I think a start would be an actual storyline where he's not just an accessory to King Corbin or uh, Shay McMahon. Oh, my God. That was all this year. Becky Lynch comes out. She's the face of the company, but the company is protecting her. So she says Asuka needs to happen next, and she won't take no for an answer. And says Asuka is the only one to beat the man fair and square, and she's coming to collect that debt. So Asuka and Kyrie Sane come out, and she wants it to be a match for the title. And then Becky yells in Japanese at Asuka. Did this uh, translate to Royal Rumble? Is that what she was saying? I don't know. Why? Why would you think so? Because that's where I assume this is going to take place. Oh, okay. Well, I don't know how you would say Royal Rumble in Japanese other than like something that sounds like Royal Rumble. Didn't sound like that, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure what she said. Um, but I thought this was really good. You know, I think Asuka's track record for like live face-to-face promo interactions hasn't really existed during her main roster run. So I think considering that, I thought this came across really well. Becky continues to build Asuka up really strong as, you know, the one challenge that is portrayed to be so difficult for her. She thinks WWE is sheltering, sheltering her away from Asuka. And I really like the way, the way that they had Asuka just come out here. All she really had to say was Asuka two belts. And you are automatically know her motivation, what she wants. So I love that. I love Becky speaking Japanese to Asuka. Like it was a great badass way to end the segment. 
And also, I think, tells the viewer that, you know, a foreign language, this foreign language that the heel has been yelling is not just gibberish, but it's it's an actual full language that this babyface has taken the time to respect and study. No, she. I think she's turned everyone's uh, idea around. Now Becky's speaking Japanese, so it's maybe everyone's just going to start speaking a different language. Maybe the rest of this feud will just be in Japanese. Could be. Uh, no, this was good. It was good last week with Becky's promo, and I think this is... It, it's all about avenging a loss. It's very simple, and I think people get into that. Back to... Uh, where are we here? With Alistair Black against Dion Russman, and this one lasted 41 seconds with Black winning with the Black Mass, and then immediately, Buddy Murphy comes out, and they plug that next week, they're going to have a rematch from the match that stole the show at TLC. Okay. So that's it. And then he beat this guy, uh, Joe Asa. Joe Asa. I think this is, I think this is one of the guys that trains at uh, the Black and Brave Academy. Uh, this one went 32 seconds, and Murphy won in 32 seconds. So he beat Black's time by nine seconds. So this was a just just easy way to have these two run through guys look strong and have a rematch next week of what was a very good match at TLC. Yeah. I like this a lot. You know, I, I think you're putting both of these squash matches in the same segment back to back. I thought it was a really unique way of building up a rivalry. It made yeah. both of them look really badass. I love the way Murphy, you know, going into Murphy's law, did his own like lifting of his opponent with his foot, similar to how yeah. Alistair Black did it with the, does it before the black mass. Um, both really fast, entertaining matches that obviously never dragged because they were so short. And I thought it was very like heavy in terms of nonverbal communication. So it, it was very effective, I thought. Yep, very simple and should be a great match next week, hopefully. Uh, Black came back into the ring. Murphy won't shake hands with him and then turns around and gets nailed with the Black Mass as, as Black just sits down cross-legged and they push the rematch really hard. I... I understand, I think, the need to maybe, like, do something physical to drive the point home. I don't know if I liked... I, I don't know if I thought, like, Aleister Black laying out, KOing Buddy Murphy with the black mask here was really necessary. Cause I Especially thought, after he was the one that won. Yeah, like, I thought Murphy looked like such a badass here. And he really was the one who needed rehabbing after that loss. So, I think this just kind of, like, continued to drag Murphy down a notch and took away a little bit of my anticipation from the match. Yeah, I could have done with just the stare down and what's going to happen next week when these two unstoppable forces meet. And you kind of gave away, you know, too much here that you didn't need uh, to. I guess maybe can it can it telegraph a Murphy win? Um, or is it in soon? the weird logic, yes, I guess. Got knocked out cold here. That's our winner. Yeah, maybe. Um, I wouldn't be being black right now, though, to be mm -hmm. honest. Um, Charlie is with Ray. He is going to be facing Seth Rollins for the first time ever tonight, but he knows it comes with an asterisk because when he faces Rollins, that means he also has to face AOP, and they made a mistake not finishing him last week. Do they actually have asterisks asterisk on, on like cage match and like grapple and things like that? I don't think they've implemented them, no, but in wrestling, you could certainly introduce asterisks uh, wherever you, you choose. They should because um, that way you don't get your hopes up. If you see this match in the record books and you think that you would want to go see it because certainly, um, eh, under delivered. Tony Nice, Ricochet, another short match. It was, 
Ricochet getting his neck snapped on the top, and then Nice was in control. He hit his quebrada, open palm strike, but then the running Nice gets stopped with a super kick and recoil as Ricochet wins in 232, uh, bouncing back after the, the, the gauntlet disaster last week. The gauntlet disaster. Is that what you're calling it? That's how I'm going to remember gate. that match. Gauntlet gate. Yeah. Uh, he's added the ripcord to the recoil now, so it's the ripcord recoil. Are you kidding me? The ripcord recoil is what they called this? Well, that's what that's how I believe Joe or somebody called it. I mean, he just added the ripcord to it. So um, the more you spin an opponent, the more devastating it is. Of course. Very quick, I would say, uh, formula style of match um, squash here. I, I, I would have loved to have heard like Ricochet actually say something. You know, I think that clearly they're they're maybe not the most comfortable with with just having him say anything. But I I I don't know. Sometimes like I just see these matches and they just like I completely forget about them when I think there are great opportunities for Ricochet to look strong by getting a win and then maybe saying something. Uh, Hopefully not embarrassing, you know, something that might hopefully sound cool. Andrade, <laughs> not cool. <laughs> there was nothing uh, even referring to last week, like Andrade laying out Umberto on the concrete. Andrade like after all that stuff Umberto last week. Concrete. I totally forget it. Wait, that was the culmination of your hour-long gauntlet last week. Right. Well, um... Yeah, I'm sure I'll see it in a video package in a week. No update on Umberto. Is he okay? We'll find out. Tozawa was hiding behind a Christmas tree. Truth is searching. He called out for Sazawa, which is the tag team I want to see. That would be a great (laughs) tag team. And then he tries to run away from the Christmas tree. So R-Truth runs yelling, come on, Christmas tree, like he was auditioning for the running man. Oh, okay. All right. You haven't seen that movie, have you? No. Is that a Christmas movie? Uh, no. Arnold Schwarzenegger's in it. It's a fun movie, but it's not a Christmas movie. Charlotte Flair and Chelsea Green, there was a very small chant of hot mess at the beginning. And by small chant, I mean there were probably two or less people chanting it. Um, Chelsea challenges her, and she gets slapped uh, by Charlotte and then stomped down in the corner and Green is being very aggressive here, kicks at her knee, nails her into the bottom turnbuckle and then curb stomps her into the buckle. There's a headlock by Green, Flair comes out, chops her, drops her with a big boot and submits her with the figure eight in four minutes and five seconds. I'm a fan of Chelsea Green's. I, I thought she showed some good aggression here and I loved that Joe pointed out how her height is something that matches Charlotte and it kind of posed a unique challenge for Charlotte, you who usually ends up being, you know, the tallest person in her division. Uh, I certainly feel like her, you know, Chelsea Green's height is something that can help her stand out amongst the division. I sense that, you know, this and Deanna Parazza's uh, matches last week were sort of tryouts for them. And I think they both did, you know, decently well. Neither of them were blowaway matches, but they, neither of them, you know, did anything wrong. Um, it was, they were perfectly passable performances. Ultimately, I think, you know, their call-ups are dependent on what Vince McMahon and Paul Levesque think. Um, so I, I definitely look forward to seeing what sort of characters her and Parazzo will have in NXT and, um, how they and, and that's probably that. where they, they should be right now is NXT. But I thought Chelsea had like good presence here and, you know, didn't at all seem out of place in this match. Yeah. 
Santa tells R-Truth and Tozawa not to fight and points truth stuff with Santa uh, going to the North Pole. I can't, I can't do any more of this. It's okay. Liv Morgan vignette. She's seeking affirmation or she was seeking affirmation from someone other than herself. And when you do that, you give up power. And she was once young and impressionable and she is anything but typical. And I think Liv Morgan's like coming off across very well in these vignettes. Mm-hmm. Like she feels like a totally different person. Yes, yes, and I think that's the point. You know, these are these continue to tease um, some some sort of character change, some sort of evolution, some sort of you know, um, I guess uh, throwing away of her past. I I think they continue to be somewhat mysterious and really well shot, really well produced. I I I will also say I think these days I just appreciate any WWE vignette that isn't just a wrestler sitting inside a dark room talking to a camera like we're getting with AOP or Black or Sheamus or any of these guys. So they're putting a lot of effort into this, and I'm intrigued to see what they have for her. I'm picturing her doing an Alistair promo. Well, that would be different. Off. DX is going to be on Corey Griggs' podcast this week, and Vic said, you won't believe what they're going to say. I bet I can believe it. Mm. Well, what if they start talking about, like... uh um hey Paul, you see the uh see the end of Dynamite last week? Yeah. Do you believe that? Yeah. Uh I could totally believe them talking about that. I don't think they will, but what if they started talking about you? Uh did you listen that to I would, John that I would, on the Christmas show? I don't show? know what <laughs> Why didn't we get invited? See that? I definitely don't think you would believe. No, probably not. But I'd get a, I'd get messaged by people who probably do believe it. The Viking Raiders and Randy Orton teamed up to take on the OC. And Randy Orton had his knee all taped up from the calf crusher last week, which was, uh, I guess, an hour before this match, probably. Good. Great. It was good. It was nice little, and it became the focus of the match. Uh, they had the advantage on Eric for a while. Uh, Orton eventually gets in and... He gets sent to the floor and lands on the injured knee, and this leads to them working over Orton's knee. Eventually, he suplexes AJ, tagging Eric, and Anderson comes in. They hit the biking experience onto Anderson. Gallows made the save, and then there's a blind tag by Orton. AJ doesn't see it, and Orton goes for the RKO. AJ blocks it, and then Orton tries to set up for the draping DDT. Anderson comes from behind, eats an RKO, and then Orton goes for another one to Gallows. The knee buckles, allowing AJ to hit the phenomenal forearm and pin Randy Orton as he clutches his knee. Really enjoyed the finish. You know, I think really good attention to detail. I I, I like Orton selling a lot. You know, it's one thing I've missed about him when he's a heel. We don't really get to see him sell a body part, and... I think Randy Orton is excellent at making something like that look really real. So I enjoyed this. The rest of the match, I I don't know. I just found it to be a traditional WWE tag team match on TV. I find Gallows and Anderson painfully dull. Um, don't get that much specialness from the Raiders in this match either. So I kind of felt it was too long. And this was also certainly hurt by the three, third hour drag. Yeah, the, the Orton-AJ stuff at the end was... Very strong. I think they're going to have uh, a hell of a singles match when they finally get to that. I guess the question is just when they get to that. You would think the Rumble. Yeah, unless they just are participants and they're going to drag this out further. But yeah, that's a long they're... time. That's like four months. 
they're setting up a lot of stuff for the Rumble. Like when you're you're seeing like Becky and Oscar being set up, you're gonna have you know both both sets of titles, both sets of women's titles. You would presume uh, two Rumbles on there. It's you know there isn't a ton of room, but yeah, mm. maybe maybe this happens at the Rumble. We'll see. Uh, Truth and Tozawa. This is when they were in the horse and carriage. Truth thought one of the horses was a reindeer, and they keep running. Street Profits cut a promo backstage. Dawkins and uh, Ford have not been invited to Lashley's wedding. Dawkins only wants to go to the bachelor party. Then they talked about what is in Roman's, or, or sorry, Eric Rowan's cage. It might be a squirrel, it might be a rabbit, and it might be a Komodo dragon. And all I could think at the end of this was that. I'm not shocked that they retired the weekend updates. Yeah, because they took a lot of effort to do. But when the writing is still bad, no amount of production is going to save it. And unfortunately, that the writing was not dropped for a segment like this. Because the punchline here was like... (laughs) It was like um, Montez Ford explaining to Dawkins, Hey, they're not Komodo... or, Or they're Komodo dragons. Not Game of Thrones dragons. They don't breathe fire, bro. <laughs> and like, as if that was supposed to be the punchline. Like the the delivery is excellent. They they sound so cool when they're talking. But unfortunately, I understand the English language, so I know how bad this material is. It's it, it's just awful. And and this is also this is also backstage promo number infinity uh, during hour four of six and oh, awful. This. This is it's, what we got. It's just making these guys, unfortunately, look just look really exhausting to me when they and whenever they appear on TV, and that's that's really unfortunate because I feel like if you just left these two to come up with something on their own, I think it'd actually be way better than what we're seeing right now. I, I just, yeah, I, I think they've cooled off tremendously. Like from that raw that they closed out, where they're celebrating in the crowd, and yet that that shot with the the little baby. Remember that. And it's like, man, they closed the show with these guys, and they had kept them protected all summer. And then all of a sudden, they lose to the War Raiders out of nowhere in three minutes two weeks ago. And yeah, you're right. Like these promos, left to themselves, I'm sure would be would feel a lot more natural than this one did. And I, I think they're still trying to figure out like, what are these guys just part of our tag team that they do matches? Are they just doing promos backstage? Are we going to come up with these wacky weekend update segments for them? Like, what are we, what's the goal with these guys? I could be completely wrong. They could be writing all this stuff themselves or they could have a big hand in it. You know, they, they could find gen- genuine amusement in the difference between a Komodo dragon and a Game of Thrones dragon, um, not breathing fire. Um, but anyway. Eric Rowan took on Travis Horn who offered Eric a candy cane and then had a bunch of candy canes stuffed in his trunks. Rowan beat the shit out of him after he tried to give a candy cane to the mysterious creature and hit him with two claw slams in 223. Um, Yeah, they continue to try to find creative ways to get these jobbers beaten up. And I think these jobbers have all been doing a really good job. You know, they've they've definitely been giving them interesting material to play around with beyond your typical squash match. And I I find these entertaining. Certainly, everything has a shelf life. I feel like they haven't really gotten there yet. I do wish that they would start dangling some clues about what exactly this pet actually is. You know, just little little bits of like build 
rather than just, I think, the same thing every single week without that much upward momentum to keep the people interested. Because eventually, if you don't live a bit of a trail, I mean, people just aren't really going to care. I want a a backstage. We get the, the point of view of the creature inside his cage, and one of the jobbers walks up, and all of a sudden, the jobber just gets eaten. And we never see him again. Eaten? Okay. Maybe you just see, like, a hand, like, remaining. Yeah. Or, like, a boot. Yeah, yeah. Eric Rowan chases the guy to the back, and he finds he's, there's his trunks and his boots are left on in this pile of ooze or something. Uh, maybe it'd be a And the cage door is open, and the animal has gotten out. And we don't know what it is. Some sort of dragon, I would assume. Santa is all blown up by the Lincoln Center. He falls down on the steps. Truth pins him to win the title back. And then the referee, John Cohn, screams at him and Tozawa that he's been chasing them all around New York. He's going home. And then Truth and Tozawa call a truce. And they are going to search for the Big Apple. And they become friends. Yeah. So I think this is our new alliance. Seems like it. You know, I don't mind the pairing at all. I think these two could have like a... Like a rush hour type of uh, comedic chemistry, perhaps. Um, I, I, I certainly hope that Tozawa doesn't stay in the 24-7 division, though. Like, I think this is his home way. This was not just some... They chose this guy specifically for these vignettes. Oh. I think this is where he, this is his new lot in life. Okay. And it's exactly where I thought he was headed to on Raw. I think, you know, I think he's I think he's taking like not the Carmella spot, but he's going to be our truth needs someone to play off of, and Tozawa's going to be that guy now. I mean, listen, in, in in the WWE, I I kind of feel like somebody like Tozawa, this might be the best role he could hope for. Um, unfortunately, because he doesn't have the size to be taken seriously. I mean, it's either this or Shorty G, take your pick, or something, you know, a bit more racial. Um I I think the comedy <laughs> you paint such a bleak <laughs> outlook for this poor guy. <laughs> I think something comedic with our truth can can really help Tozawa. I I hope eventually like they they play it like Rush Hour where it's like, you know, like Jackie Chan is the guy who like gets the, the serious work done and then you have like sort of like, you know, like the Chris Tucker who's just like kind of like, you know, delivering the 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 jokes and then together they have like really funny comedic chemistry. And I think Tozawa can still be the guy who does the serious wrestling with truth, kind of like, you know, um, providing the, the comic relief. And the two of them somehow maybe win a match or two. Maybe they even end up winning the tag team titles. There's some potential there. Maybe they're just going to stay in New York for a few weeks, film, uh, film a bunch of scenes. And then in a month, they'll air Royal Rumble in the Bronx. Beautiful. Love it. Rusev comes out, and he couldn't believe it's snowing on the ramp. He says he got screwed over at TLC. He's upset, and he's going to do something about it. But is he upset about the wedding next week? No. That will be the greatest night of his life, because the greatest punishment he can give to Bob Lashley is allowing him to marry Lana, and even her wedding day will be Rusev Day. Then I made the discovery that No Way Jose has a very similar theme to Lana when he came out. It's very true. I thought Lana was about to come out. You're right. And it was No Way Jose. 
they noted that here, even eight days later, Rusev still has welts all over his back from the tables match. He's a slow healer. Yeah, yeah, it's like time has stood still. <laughs> Rusev won in 36 seconds with a kick, and then he did a spin of Rusev and spin danced Rusev. with the conga line as the women were kissing him on the cheek. So, like, the way that they, they portrayed Rusev here, he does not seem upset about the loss to Bobby Lashley at all. Doesn't seem uh, the, the least bit inconvenience enough to seemingly, you know, to get any revenge on Lashley. So are they done with that program? Is this how Rusev's story ends? No, he he said he's going to do something about it. I imagine he's going to crash the wedding next week. Although in this promo, like, again, why is he crashing the wedding? Did he say he's going to do something about it? Because he's just like... He did. He did say he was upset that he got screwed over at TLC and he is going to do something about it. Oh, okay. All right. But he said he was going, he was not going to stop Bobby Lashley from marrying Lana, but... He's got to get involved in that segment somehow next week, you would figure. Yeah, what could it be? Well, it has to lead to a match, right? The, um, I don't know, something at stake. Charlie interviewed Rollins and said, what does this match mean to you? And Seth was not impressed with this question, nor the timing of it minutes before he's about to walk out. He said he's going to beat Ray, establish dominance, and then he summoned AOP as they went to the ring. For the first time ever, Rey Mysterio and Seth Rollins, United States title. The match begins. Rollins ducks a 619 and then drives Rey shoulder first, shoulder first into the post. They went through the commercial break. Rollins is working the shoulder. And then Rey slides over the edge of the apron to deliver a sunset bomb, sending Rollins into the barricade. Inside the ring, twisting DDT, sets up Rollins on the rope and hits the 619. And as he climbs up for the splash, AOP attack Ray for the DQ, tossing him to the barricade. And Joe says that he won't call AOP savages because it's insulting to savages. Hmm. What did you think of the match first before we get to the angle? Wasn't really much of a match at all. You know, unfortunately, it didn't get much of a sense of, of any magic between these two. Some short sequences, a commercial break, you know, just a, a few more, I would say, generic sequences from each man's offset, off, off move sets, and then just a DQ. So if you had any level of anticipation for this match, I think you would have been disappointed. Thankfully, I, I don't really think they even really promoted this match as an attraction anyway. So it just kind of ends up being a typical WWE main event angle to set up uh, what they did here. After the match, AOP drag Ray up the ramp to the announcer's area. And Vic and Jerry Lawler hightail it, but Samoa Joe remains seated. And he just tells them, I sit here and I commentate. I don't move. And then he says, if I get up, it's not to move. If I get up, it's both your asses. And then he proceeds to take off his headset. And then Seth steps in. To try and play peacemaker, he's apologizing to Joe. He says, we were just going after Ray, not you. We're sorry. And then Seth turns around and just whispers to AOP, finish him. And AOP jump Joe. They're beating him down. Ray is still recovering here on the stage. We've forgotten about him. So Seth just kills him with the stomp. And then AOP chokeslam Joe through the desk to end the show. I thought I thought this angle was great at the end of the night. 
good angle. I enjoyed the setup for Joe off the top. Of course, it, this was it paid off at the end of the show here. I thought Joe looked like a total badass, you know, standing defiant against AOP and Rollins refusing to get up out of his seat. Um, I I I like the Rollins character who like seems to still delusionally think of himself as a babyface. He like almost here was like almost using AOP just as a means to what he thinks is a morally justified end. Like he's like a Thanos type of villain who on the surface acts like he doesn't want to do harm and only, you know, uses AOP when he feels like he needs to and almost like faults the victim for causing him to unleash this weapon. So I, I find Rollins continuing to, to be really interesting. Yeah. Um, I like the angle a lot. I thought it, th- this angle was the best thing on the show. Yeah, overall. sure. I I I was actually pleasantly surprised with this edition of Raw, considering that this was like the second in a set of two tapings. It felt, by the end of it, like a substantial, complete edition of Raw that didn't feel half-assed or completely full of skippable material, at least not more than, you know, your typical edition of Raw. I liked everything they did with Rollins, AOP, uh, Joe, Ray, Owens. So I'm guessing maybe you get a six-man at some point between uh, the new baby faces and also AOP and Rollins. Um, like the brief development with Becky and Asuka, I liked what they did with Black and Murphy's interaction through their squash matches. A lot of squash matches on the show, and I'm not necessarily, necessarily complaining. I think they move uh, the show along at a, at a good pace. Sometimes, like, the squash matches for the sake of them, like what we saw with Ricochet, I don't think really did that much, serve that much purpose. Um, you know, it's a lot for the three-hour format. Well, that's the problem, isn't it? Like, sometimes you just, it just feels like you're trying to drag into three hours, which... Um, it's just like, doesn't help anybody except, you know, for WWE's, um, pocketbooks. Um, it's demanding a lot of your audience's attention without delivering, I think anything substantial. And I certainly felt it here in the third hour. You know, I thought there were a lot of matches with unsatisfying conclusions or just like weird commercial break stoppages here. Um, I think condensed into like an hour and a half, two hour show, this would be a pretty decent show, but three hours, I can't really say it was a success. Yeah, I, I didn't think that, like, you missed a whole lot, but they kept a lot of the angles simple on this show um, and, and did something notable at, at the end. And I guess the next question is if this signals the end of Joe on commentary, which I guess we'll find out next week. I would have to think so. I'm going to miss him on commentary. He mm-hmm. he became really great in this role, but who, who you know, ultimately this is always going to be a stopgap for him. Yeah, he could return someday, but who takes a spot, you think? Does anyone take a spot? Yeah, it's true. I don't know if like how long term they see Jerry Lawler in this position. So I, I feel like they would want to like get somebody up to speed, you know, in that spot. Maybe we see a rotation. I'm here to call <laughs> the match. Yes. That would be a that'd be a long night. Alright. Uh let's go to the forum and tonight's show. If you watched it, God bless. A 5.63. So Raw gets a pass from our form. Higher than its uh, yearly average. Yes, which you will find out this week. What was the yearly average for Raw, SmackDown, and Dynamite? We have the stats. All right, why don't you kick things off here? We got a Paul from New Jersey who says, I thought Mojo had a good showing tonight. By no means am I saying put the title on the guy, but it's nice to see the show trying to utilize its roster. Samojo should write a book on the AOP because his description of them is like poetry every week. Shouldn't, shouldn't they be able to write their own book? Yes, you would think so. 
The crowd sweetening was very amusing to me. Cedric Alexander gets the biggest pop of his career. Did you notice much uh, crowd sweetening, I, su- I suppose, outside of the Mojo Raleigh segment we talked about? Um, it felt like there was some when Rusev came out. Um, I'm sure he got a bit of a reaction. You know, um, I'll, say, I'll say I don't think they went overboard at all with it. Like, it, it was to the point where I didn't really, didn't really come across to me that much other than, like, a very obvious edit, like the Mojo Raleigh promo. Um, so I thought they were at least tempered with it. You know, it wasn't like they made every segment sound like it was WrestleMania, you know, uh, he no, said it, it, it was, yeah, there, there were portions. Yeah. But anyway, does all getting jobbed out by Santa makes Paul sad inside. Lawler started a premise involving he and Chelsea green kissing under the mistletoe. Joe noticeably cut him off yet. Lawler finished the awful joke. Anyway, nice try, Joe. Glad to see the non-finished gauntlet match led to a main event non-finish. And what the hell are they doing with the street profits? On the bright side, at least the superstars get some time off to spend with their families. This show started out good and took a proper nosedive. Two out of ten. We go to Andrew from Cape Breton. Considering it was the second show in one night, if the people showed up late, they would have probably had a better show. This week's Raw was much better. NWA Power is making me really like shorter types of matches and lots of people on the show. I like the variety. A year or so back, I binge-watched WWF Superstars on the network, and I enjoyed seeing so many different people on TV each week. Maybe it's also because Raw has these extremely long and pointless matches, like the 50-minute gauntlet without a finish, or the 20-plus-minute non-title tag match. I like seeing squash matches, but I also like quick showcase matches, where even people like Tony Nese or Chelsea Green have a chance to show off and get over. The low light of the night was Jerry Lawler's attempt at 1999 humor, ignoring the obvious sexism issues. It's just behind the times. On the contrary, Samoa Joe is my pick for announcer of the year, especially after putting over the AOP. Great ending of the show as well, and it will be great to see Joe back in the ring, a 6 out of 10 show. Got to Adam from the street who says, Hey, John and Way, happy Festivus and Merry Christmas Eve. As far as holiday episodes go, this one at least continued some storylines. The best part of the evening was NWA Power being released one day early. Also, I just wanted to say as you guys are reading this that it is officially the two-year anniversary of post-wrestling. So congratulations and thank you for the many hours of entertainment, even the review of Heroes of Wrestling. Well, thank you, Adam. Thank you very much, Adam, uh, from the street. Yes. Nas from New York City. I actually enjoyed this episode of Raw much better than last week, only brought down by that sick comment by Jerry Lawler. He's probably old enough to be Chelsea Green's grandfather. What a sick individual. Not to mention that this was a taped episode and WWE was okay with leaving that in. Lots of good are, promos are we on the show. talking about the mistletoe comment? Yes. So the line, the line was that he went to Chelsea Green and said, will you kiss me under the mistletoe? And Chelsea told me, I wouldn't kiss you under anesthesia. Yes. Listen, I, I'm I'm not gonna argue the other way. Like there's Jerry Lawler jokes that I listen to those as like just bad jokes. Um you know, if people are gonna look at them as being offensive on top of that, I'm not gonna argue with you as well. I just think at the at the baseline it's like there's a lot of bad jokes. Like really bad. And yes, like they get very awkward too. Mm-hmm. Uh, He says he enjoyed the 24-7 bits in New York. They must have filmed this very late at night, too, as the Upper West Side streets near Central Park were relatively empty. Though not sure how I feel about someone as talented as Tozawa getting put in that position. I guess it's either that or just losing. Take your pick. 
Nick from Lansing says, I'm glad the Kevin Owens show got off to a great start with a strong win from KO. And personally, I see untapped potential in Mojo. It would just be nice to see the company actually invest time in him. It's nice to see Cedric put on a good showing with somebody like Lashley, even if it does reinforce his role as a jobber to the stars. I wouldn't mind if they were to start building towards a tag team with Buddy Murphy or Ricochet with the hope they don't get lost without a title or story at the moment. Speaking of Murphy, I'm not really sure why we're getting a rematch with him and Alistair next week, but if they have half the match they did at TLC, I won't complain. As much as I enjoyed the Street Profit speculation on Eric, what Eric Rowan's pet is, I think I cracked it. Based only on his comment about feeding after the match, I'm starting to think it's jobber-eating Flurkin from Captain Marvel, and I'm waiting for evidence against me. I'd like to end by apologizing for my misuse of the plural to Lego last week when you were discussing that (laughs) spot in the street fight and Facebook. The correct pluralization, I broke into a cold sweat at work when I heard Wei mention that people often add the S because... I knew the rightful mockery I'd receive later for making that very same mistake. For real, thanks for the correction. Noted for the future. I'll be going to... De- you know what? Um, Nick from Lansing, please please don't be ashamed. The official word from the Lego group is that the plural of Lego is not necessarily Lego, but Lego bricks. You know, it depends what item you are talking about. Lego building bl- construction blocks, Lego sets, uh, Lego theme parks. You know, so it's, it's, uh, I suppose it's kind of like saying, um, mm, uh, like, uh, post wrestling, you know, it's like, oh, I'm about to listen to some post wrestlings. You wouldn't say that. You would say, I'm about to listen to some post wrestling podcasts. So there you go. That's, that's the official explanation. So I was wrong too. What language can I type into Duolingo to translate what you just said? Because I didn't understand um, any any of what you just explained about Lego language, but uh, nonetheless, a, uh, you got to look up a full. <laughs> uh, so there you go. Thank you, everybody, for the feedback to tonight's raw. Next week, we're getting a wedding. We're getting Buddy Murphy and Alistair Black, and whatever follow up there is on the Joe stuff. And I guess with Rollins now, you've got programs with Owens, po- program with Joe, uh, different ways you can go. Although it almost feels like Joe is kind of. Almost needs to find a partner to take on AOP. That seems to be the direction. I mean, you you can kind of take your pick amongst the Owens and Ray, can't you? But yeah, they have. A maybe maybe it'll be Joe Joe and Ray against AOP. Maybe that's uh, at least a TV program. Yeah, I think it's a great role for Joe. I'm looking forward to seeing him as a babyface. It'll help the show. I think it'll help the show quite a bit. So that was uh, our episode of Raw, and now we have uh, a few other quick uh, things to go through. Uh, starting off with. NWA Power, which they put out a day early. I kind of liked it coming out on Monday night. Do you think as a permanent move, you, would you enjoy it? Um, I would, to be honest, selfishly, because I I think I would make a point to be able to watch this uh, before we do our show on Monday. It's way so, too much wrestling for me on a Monday. Yeah, I can understand that. So, yeah, I, I think this week it was just simply avoid Christmas Eve, which was probably a smart move on their behalf. Or not wanting to go against the year-end awards of uh, backstage later that night. So, hmm. And our Christmas show's dropping. So, I mean, come on. Tuesday's a mammoth day for competition. So, anyway, they started off the show with Trevor Murdoch out there and announcing that he got a contract today. Uh, Zicky Dice is hungover from his, from his match last week. And he is confronted by the Pope, D'Angelo De Niro, who walks out 
and does his greatest love letter to Dusty Rhodes with this promo. And then he's going off to scout talent. And we start off the television title tournament with Eddie Kingston and Ricky Starks with a six-minute and five-second time limit. Uh, This one goes all of four minutes and ten seconds where Ricky Starks gets the win with his version of the Angels' wings called Buster Keaton. And afterwards, Pope gives Eddie Kingston a look, and they're really trying to build up Ricky Starks as like their their young phenom and gets the clean victory over Eddie Kingston to advance in the TV title tournament. How do you think the uh, the Pope will fit into NWA? I mean, the guy, his his biggest attribute was always his talking. So he's in an environment where that certainly is at a premium. Uh, will he stand out above that? Uh, I, I don't know. Um I was I was never a big fan of the Pope. Like he never really did it for me. I was not a fan of his commentary, so I certainly would not want to see him on commentary. Um, as a manager, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I feel like the environment kind of you know certainly favors a, a performer like his, and and I I think it'll refresh a lot of people that you don't you don't really expect to like. Uh, you have that much really to to offer in terms of like new material. So I'm 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 interested. Royce Isaacs of the Wild Cards came out, and he's got a new valet named May Valentine, who has just joined the NWA. And when David Marquez asks Isaacs what they have planned for the holidays, Isaacs whispers something and makes Marquez incredibly uncomfortable. And we're left to believe that he said something very dirty to David Marquez. And he made an open challenge. James Storm comes out, and he wants to answer the challenge, and James Storm is 100% babyface in this segment. Isaac stalls, then he's trying to warm up on the floor with Valentine, and then he just bails when Storm tries to, he chases him, tries to do the last call super kick, and he just goes to the back, and we never get him, so they count to 10, and James Storm wins by count out, and then he made a reference to going uh, for the NWA title again by making the gesture towards his waist. But a total baby face here was James Storm after the uh, Nick Aldis match. So Royce Isaacs also has a manager? Yes. So, so we've so, got Camille that's kind of uh, yeah, with, with Thomas Brandon. Latimer, and then we have Royce Isaacs with May Valentine. Okay. Okay. So everybody's so, just bringing their valets. Everybody yes. get, gets a special valet. Then we got this segment that way you you have to go back just to watch. Eli Drake comes out and he's got a bottle of champagne. And it's funny because all the references, these guys thought this would be airing on Christmas Eve. So they're all referring that it's Christmas Eve. And he says, you know, I've been drinking. And Eli Drake is just going here. He's just freestyling out there. He starts singing. The crowd is yelling, yeah, like it's the new what? And it actually was funny here. He said he has new goals in 2020. He then has the camera show his shoes he's wearing and says, look at these. These are shoes of a champion. Then he points to his jacket. He says, see this jacket? This jacket? Shoes of a champion. And then he realizes, like, wait a minute. Did I just call my jacket shoes? And he just plays off of it. And then we cut to Josephus as Santa Claus singing, O Come All Ye Faithful. The audience is singing along, and then the segment ends with Aldous and his crew coming out. This was just the most wild segment, and it was just guys just having so much fun doing these promos, and Eli Drake was phenomenal here. 
This guy's such a great talker. He is in the absolute perfect promotion for him. This I would never advise this man to to go elsewhere unless it's a, like an incredible money offer because this is the perfect fit for Eli Drake in this studio setting. That sounds like a lot of fun. Did he get his voice back? His voice was back. It was amazing. That's what amazing. a recovery. He was not going to be able to to sing. Maybe the champagne helped. So Aldous comes out. He presents team jackets to the wild cards, Camille and himself, and then says everything with Camille and Tim Storm, everything was part of the master plan. They worked everyone. And then he starts addressing Ricky Morton, and this leads to the Rock and Roll Express coming out. Ricky Morton in his Rock and Roll Express Christmas sweater. And Aldous asks Ricky to clarify his comments. Ricky says, I was asked my opinion, and I gave it. You said you've spent two years building the NWA. Well, people like Harley Race, Ric Flair, and us, we spent our whole life building this business. And says, it might be Christmas Eve, Aldous, but you don't have to be Scrooge. And says, if I offended you, then I apologize. And Aldous tells Ricky Morton, you just watch yourself. And don't open your mouth again. So you know what this is. Eventually, we're going to get Nick Aldis and Ricky Morton. Oh, yeah. I think it's going to be awesome. I'm down for that. That sounds it's great. It's going to be great. I, you know, like the promos, I think it will be really special. But I oh, think that, that final promo from Ricky Morton going into his last title opportunity oh. will be unbelievable. It yeah. will be better than 98% of the promos this year. Yeah, I'm down for that. And I'm, I'm very curious to see what type of match they can have together in a cycles environment. Okay, so, so, so you're telling me that the... The all the stuff with Camille that was all planned. So that's that was their explanation. So, was so everything you saw with Camille, all of it was them working you. So they cost like Nick Aldis basically sacrificed that first pinfall in the two out of three falls match for he, for what? They want to work you. It was all part of the plan. He put himself into that much danger that he could have actually lost the title. Yes, like they well, they wanted you to question it. I guess. Fine. Okay. Whatever. <laughs> It's a it's a bit of a liberty that they are taking, I think, in this one. Molina, Thunder Rosa, and Marty Bell versus Allison K, ODB, and Ashley Vox. The winner of the fall gets to choose a singles match with anyone. Um, they had a they had a decent match here by uh, the standards here. Um, mainly, it was them working over Vox, injuring her shoulder. Uh, at one point, Vox applied a submission onto Thunder Rosa, the MMA fighter who had to bite herself free to get out of this, and then. It ends with a shoulder breaker and a driver delivered by uh, Thunder Rosa, who pins Ashley Vox. So Thunder Rosa can pick anyone, and she's at the podium, and she's about to announce who she's going to face when Melina interrupts her and says, ODB, she's going to face ODB. And Thunder Rosa just says, well, I guess I'll face ODB. So it's Melina that is the overbearing leader of the group and where this all leads to. But then, way, we got one of the best promos of 2019. And I'm not exaggerating. This question mark? No. Okay. The only person possible. They had the next contestants for the TV title tournament out there. They were going to draw the names for next week. And there is Tim Storm. And they draw his name. And he is going to face next week Nick Aldis. And everyone reacts, and they say, wow, Tim, professional wrestling, what an industry. And Tim Storm just says, first of all, I just want to let everyone know 
that this week, Mama Storm turned 95, and that's a shoot. And wow. everyone, everyone's applauding and said, Mama Storm didn't retire until she was 78 years old. And at that age, she had gotten to a little over $8 per hour. And uh, everyone always asks me, how long am I going to keep wrestling? Well, the fact is, I ask myself that question. And I've got this work ethic from my mother. Because when my father left, he took every penny with him. And my mom just had to keep going and keep going. And when she kept working, she wasn't doing it for the money. She was doing it because she had something to prove. And he quotes Dusty Rhodes and says, I'm bad and they all know I'm bad. And I'll be Mama Storm's baby boy until the day I die. Because both of us have something to prove. And it starts next week with Nick Aldis. Dude, this was so fucking great. This promo was awesome. It was so good. I got goosebumps, man. Where has this dude been? I have no idea, but this was, you know, obviously that Cody promo on Dynamite was just, it was amazing. And it's so different when you're in a, a packed arena like that compared to a studio setting. But in terms of like, just a baby face setting up a match and just pure emotion like this. They, they were very similar to me. That sounds excellent. It was really good. So, man, the promos are what I'd recommend this week. Eli Drake for just like a fun segment. But this was just an awesome promo for Tim Storm. Who, Man, this guy's been one of my favorite people to follow this year. I think he's just great. I'm so glad there's a Tim Storm in professional wrestling. And then the show ended with a quick match, the question mark versus Colt Cabana. And Cabana is constantly going for covers and just trying to out-wrestle the question mark. And then you may be familiar, uh, Way, with the flying asshole. Mm -hmm. In the GPB studios, it has morphed into the flying apple. (laughs) (laughs) And he hits hits him in the corner. And then... There's karate chops, which gets stopped by an elbow from Cabana. Cabana comes off the top turnbuckle into a spike to his throat. And the question mark pins Colt Cabana to advance in the tournament. And then we go backstage. Aaron Stevens in his gi is with his sensei, question mark, and said that they have their sights on the TV title, on the tag titles. And eventually, Aaron Stevens will go after the NWA title. They'll have all the belts because they have the power of karate. And the show goes off with the word karate. And that was NWA power. Thoughts overall? Um, I would, I, I would say the highlight were those two promos. They were just fantastic. Um, women's uh, six person was, was decent for what it was. The TV title match is very short, but it seems like the shorter season, like you can see everyone's got a direction. They've got a short time period to build all of this up. You've got a tournament going on. Again, no moments are wasted on this show. That's the greatest praise I can give this show. It's just, it's, there's no dead time. It seems like such a cure, I think, for so much of, um, I don't know, so so much of what I'm kind of bored with in, in professional wrestling. Um, it seems like it, it really puts an emphasis on character and storytelling and less so on in-ring action. I mean, in-ring action, of course, is very important as well, but I feel like I get so much of that throughout my other wrestling viewing from other companies. Um, it, it does not feel like it's a company that relies too much on like things like false finishes and every single match having to go the distance. 
instead uh, focusing, you know, to tell you a bigger narrative. And I, I, I continue to be really excited by things like you mentioned, you know, with these spectacular promos and just even like a weird uh, side story character, like the question mark. All right. Um, so what was uh, next here? Um, did you get to see any of the Seth Rollins special? The 365 no, one? Do you want to hold off and we, we do you want to talk about that at a later time? No, no, you can talk about it now because uh, I don't know when the next time we would be able to talk about it would be. So Okay, well, I'll keep this brief. I, I would recommend watching it. I, I did find it to be interesting. This is the 365 special where they follow these guys around for a year. So this the time period is Survivor Series of last year to Survivor Series this year. And our narrator, Michael Rappaport. All right, cool. Seth Rollins found himself against Shinsuke Nakamura. Little I think did he, he know. The, he should be the raw commentator. Oh, Jesus Christ. Then I will. I, I'd be. That would be really tough for me. I, I believe. So this is awesome. Okay. So they're highlighting his match. It was him and Nakamura last year at Survivor Series. And as Seth is teeing it up, this is, this is the priority that TLC is, everybody. Seth says, we have another pay-per-view coming up, but this is really the last big one. <laughs> it's just like December is like the afterthought pay-per-view. So we go through all these different portions of Seth Rollins' uh, life. Like we go away from wrestling. They do a little feature on his gym, the Black and Brave Academy, how he always wanted to get out of Davenport, Iowa. But then when he did, he really wanted to you know, establish roots there. And he has now with this gym, he's opened up a coffee shop. And we go into the Royal Rumble. He wins the Royal Rumble, and he admits that it was a bit underwhelming when he won the Rumble and said that it really felt more real to him the next night on Raw, pointing to the sign. That's when it felt real to him. So the sign was a real thing. It's, um, it's, it, it, it contains, I think, uh, special powers. I mean, the sign hasn't really been a thing until like the past what ten years? More Dude, than that. If you and I, if you and I are doing this show like ten, fifteen years from now, there's going to be a whole generation of wrestlers that grew up and that dreaming them. about the sign. To the sign. Absolutely, yeah. that's going to be like the mark of achievement. Is oh, for sure pointing to a sign. Yep, yep. Like you'll that's... start to see tears flow down people's faces the moment that they get to point at the sign. So this is when he was dealing with that that back injury where he missed uh like a month or six weeks he was out earlier this year uh, prior to WrestleMania and he uh, he goes into like his his um his rehab here and he said he had a bilateral stress fracture in his L five vertebrae so he didn't wrestle for six weeks um it was also around January that he starts dating Becky Lynch and he talks about that relationship um their first kiss was Royal Rumble weekend. In case you were curious. And then we go to WrestleMania. And initially, him and Lesnar were set to go on second to last. So right before the women. And he said, and this story had come out at the time, that it was a very late decision in the day. Um, They found out during the pre-show that they were going on first on the pay-per-view portion. So it was a big change. Like, they had to quickly get ready. And you have never seen a more epic video package chronicling this match that was all of two minutes and 30 seconds. You would have thought that the the gods had descended from the heavens for this battle of supremacy that Seth Rollins 
was left as the victor. Um, and then he discusses it kind of being bittersweet because his goal has always been to go on last at WrestleMania and he didn't get to, but his girlfriend did. And he said, I, I had to balance my disappointment with being happy for her, but I wasn't really able to hide that from her because, you know, it's very obvious. And he was, you know, very honest about this fact that it was a, uh, you know, he can look at, he, he is happy for her, but it's a disappointment for himself that he was not in that spot. They chronicled the Shields final match, which was back in April. This was the network special that Moxley later claimed he was paid all of $500 for. And uh, they just show highlights of the match, and then the camera follows them to the back, kind of just uh, each giving each other like a, like a hug at the end uh, as they're following them. Lots of personal moments with cameras stuck in these people's faces throughout their uh, personal time. Then we go through the summer. He loses the title to Lesnar at Extreme Rules, then wins it back at SummerSlam. And the summer is where they cover all of the fan backlash that's starting to mount against Seth Rollins. And they are a clip when he was on the SI Media podcast with Jimmy Traina. They never bring up what initiated this and the Will Ospreay stuff, but it's pretty much positioned that he was standing up for WWE and the fans turned on him. And so he went into SummerSlam, and he didn't know how the crowd was going to react to him. He was worried they would turn on the match, and it could be a disaster. And they went on last that night, and he did get booze when he came out, but it ended up being he was very, very happy with the match. He thought it went tremendously well, and he wins the title back from Lesnar. And to the point that he's in tears afterwards, he gets this – there's this nice moment with Cesaro where he comes up and hugs Rollins, and he's talking about just how – emotional and draining like this industry can be. And you really get a sense that all of this stuff that went down, I think he's, I think he's very caught up in it. It's, it doesn't seem like a guy that just lets the stuff roll off um, his shoulders. Like many probably get accustomed to. And Mm -hmm. I, I think he's still at a point where he does take this personally. He said as much on the backstage interview where, you know, he, he's, he's very prone to being, um, to, 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 to I guess responding to criticism perhaps in a very passionate way because he is a very passionate person about his craft so um he he doesn't really seem to um I guess refute that uh this is where he he requested his first raw off to go to Hawaii with Becky and that's where they got engaged uh and then this scene I was really glad they included this so it's the Chicago Bears opening game and I guess it was on a Thursday night and they happened to have it off. So him and Becky went to Soldier Field in Chicago and Seth Rollins goes up to Roger Goodell, the the NFL commissioner. And right to Goodell's face, he's introducing Becky to him saying, this is the biggest villain in the game. He's the biggest heel. It's Roger Goodell. And this is just amazing to watch this guy go up to the commissioner of a sports league and just say this. Like, everyone hates this guy. It was kind of hilarious and also kind of a bit ironic given uh, pretty much like Seth is now the fan that gets caught up in like, everyone hates this guy. He's the commissioner. Interesting. He's the Roger Goodell of pro wrestling. It's kind of like you're a, you're in he's in total fan mode here talking to all these players and stuff. It's like, all right, now you're in the position where you're a fan and you can somewhat I don't know, maybe it was only me who kind of noticed this, but we go from all the SummerSlam like this guy's literally breaking down in tears from all of the anxiety of this. And here's a guy in Roger Goodell who most people 
despise as a as a as a commissioner, as a sports figure. Um, anyway, I found that part interesting. Uh, they talked about where th- this kind of felt like an ad for 23andMe with the amount of times they mentioned it. But like it legit, if you have followed the story, he found out by taking an ancestry test because he never knew his biological father and he wanted to learn his medical history in case he wants to have kids, finding out he has two half siblings who would end up uh, meeting with him and then coming to the Survivor Series a few weeks ago and watching him. Uh, Helen Cell. Have you qu- have you ever thought about taking one of those? Um, I haven't given it much thought. Um, have you thought about it? Um, I mean, I guess my 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 history perhaps doesn't seem as disputed as you know somebody like Seth Rollins might might. Um, but it would it, certainly um it would be. I'm sure the results would be really interesting either way. I would say even if you don't have like you know you. There, there's nothing. There's not too much you would find secretive. I'm sure you'd still learn something for like, sure. It sounds like they're pretty in depth and stuff, but I don't. I don't know anyone who's ever tried it like personally. Now, how how accurate are they? I I really I'm not too familiar other than what its function is. Huh. Okay. Maybe we should try it. Yeah. Sure. Okay. Uh, <laughs> a special edition podcast. Yeah. I'm related to the painter. The painter Jackson. Oh, moving on to Hell in a Cell, uh, where <laughs> they said that the Hell in a Cell match took a bizarre turn and the WWE universe took out their frustrations on Seth. And Seth's explanation for all this is that the fans were upset because they didn't get what they wanted. And it was kind of like it was like, listen, I, I never want to like just dispute what these performers, uh, what their opinion is or what they perceive the opinion to be, because I'm sure there were plenty of people shitting on Seth after this match. But my interpretation was that I, I didn't see too many people casting blame on the performers. It was what an awful scenario these two were placed in. And I, I don't know that that was my perspective on that, that hell in a cell deal. I think it's sometimes hard to separate. You know your your own performance from I think uh, overall lack of enthusiasm for the thing that you were a principal part of of creating. And then Seth says about the fans, and this is after the Hell in a Cell. He says, "Listen, I've been every stage of where these fans have been. I was that guy in the front row with his Hulk Hogan doll. I was also the fickle fifteen year old that didn't think Triple H knew how to work." Fickle. Fickle 15-year-olds. And he says, once you get to the top, everyone wants to see you fall. And he questions, and he said, like, all of this, it leads him to question himself if he even knows what he's doing. And you can spiral downward very easily and get into a bad headspace. And that is the real taxing part of this industry. It's mentally taxing, more so than even the physical part. So... You know, you're you're seeing a guy that I think is trying to be as honest as he can with what he's being dealt with, but also I think probably cognizant to of a role he is still playing as well. Oh, I certainly certainly can see that. And then we uh, we finish up with uh, the crown jewel match where he loses the title to the fiend, and maybe the most interesting thing is at the end, it's a reaction to losing the title again to the fiend. And his explanation is that 
The Fiend is brand new. Everyone loves something new. He compares it to whether it's a new toothbrush or a new character. People love new things. So. I always love my new toothbrushes. See, I have an electric toothbrush, so I get like the replacement uh, like brush portion, but it never feels like a new toothbrush. So I guess it's awesome when you change. So that's what Bray Wyatt is. He is the new toothbrush. He is the Colgate of uh, great new innovative toothbrushes. Except that leaves your teeth bleeding red. Well, yeah, maybe he's more like the, the new dental floss. If you have weak gums. Okay. <laughs> and he says, so after all of this and the fiend and what the appeal is to the fans, Seth, it almost feels like defeated. He just says, it's an interesting time to be in our industry. And I wish I had the answers, but I think I just have more questions. <laughs> all right. Interesting. Cool. It seems like they, I mean, I, you know, obviously they, they plan to create this documentary this was way more interesting than that AJ one, which is probably the last 365 I watched because this is a guy that was caught in the midst of what was a uh, certainly a struggle. Like this year has been a very bizarre one for Seth Rollins. Uh, like there's been a lot of great stuff he's done. There's been a lot of like bad stuff involved, too. And he seems like he's in this weird like it's interesting. It would have been interesting to see him, like his attitude towards this new character he's playing now. But this just seems like a guy that it's it's trying to be a top babyface in a company that it's been very difficult. That you, it would have it would be really really fascinating to see in another era where this guy gets out of this territory and goes elsewhere, and how beneficial that would be for him to just experience a different company to experience different crowds. And I, I think, you know, he's, he's in a spot where it's like, this, this is where you're going to be for life most likely. And it's, um, it's a, it's a tough role. Like baby faces are, it's a, it's tough being a baby face in WWE, a top baby face. I find it fascinating how, the, you know, from what your description, it sounds like this is a documentary very much into the head of somebody who's, you know, facing community backlash. And I find it incredibly timely because I think we're ending the year off with a great deal of discussion about our relationship with social media and fan criticism, uh, not just, you know, as it relates to wrestling, especially this week with the Bucks, um, but Star Wars, of course, you know, it being a huge topic as it relates to the, the recent release of that film. So um, I, I, I think the conversation is is something that will be will dominate a lot of uh, discussions next year in 2020 and this seems like it's like one of the first pieces at least the wwe has, has produced where you get into the mindset of a wrestler as they're going through some fan backlash all right are you sticking with me can i quickly go through being the elite here and then we'll uh, do whatever we'll wrap up i feel i'm uh i'm keeping way up here but um no no this no. Th this was a fairly quick one so uh this was called blood on my hands and we started off with christmas dinner with the young bucks and scu so i guess it was it was more so a uh christmas weekend dinner this wasn't really a christmas christmas dinner if it was on the weekend sure. so anyway they're all seated the bucks are very annoyed and scu are having the time of their life and it's revealed that they're wearing their tag belts at Christmas dinner, just rubbing it in that they beat the Bucks on TV last week. Daniels then says, uh, the Bucks kicked them out of dinner. And Christopher Daniels then says on his way out, 
Dana's cooking wasn't that good anyway. And Matt says, that wasn't Dana's cooking. That was Cracker Barrel's catering. And Matt tackles down Daniels onto this giant cushion. And then in slow motion, he starts punching the cushion, missing Daniels by a gigantic margin. And he just keeps doing this, staring at the camera, allowing everybody to get it five times over. And then they laugh at the end of it. He got more pissed off at the Cracker Barrel joke than the man insulting his wife's cooking. Yes, yeah, they're they're more loyal to the the sponsor. Yeah, no, uh, no, there's. I think you know you would have expected being the elite to somehow address this major criticism of their show uh, of of Dynamite coming off of that week uh, in a way that felt like they would own it, you know, as they've done I think in the past. And I think that those guys, whether they they intentionally are calculated with it or not, they're just naturally really good at like taking something that turns into a viral sensation for even if it's critic critic criticizing themselves and turning into something that I think is entertainment for everybody involved. Is this, is this mystery creeper going to unmask as the lower power? I think they should run with it. I really do think they could like do something with it, you know, like that they should have the dark order, just like crucify this guy perhaps, or maybe like this guy can be, be shown to have like force powers or like, you know, Punching from a distance can actually inflict damage. Yeah, it's like he he runs down the ramp and he goes to jump into the ring and he misses the ring. They can just make it like he just he misses everything. Sure. Okay. Yeah. I'm not I'm not putting the show together. Uh, so then the Bucks are with Kenny Omega. They're just kind of chatting. This is in Corpus Christi prior to the show, and then they pan down to reveal Kenny Omega is wearing New Japan shorts from the G1. And Nick says, well, we weren't going to show the shorts because everyone's going to say, oh, you're working with New Japan. And then the camera pans over to Tony Khan, who's shaking his head no. <laughs> <laughs> then there's a bit with uh, with Justin Roberts where um, Michael Nakazawa is showing him photos of famous people named John to get him to say the long uh, pronunciation. First, it's John Stamos. Then John Lovitz. Then there's a photo of John Cena. He's like, I don't recognize that person. And then they do Elton John before Nick walks in as the merch freak and he reveals Justin Roberts' new t-shirt, which is a shirt that reads John with about 100 O's uh, coming down the shirt. Don't anyone buy me this shirt. <laughs> Didn't even put that together. Um, I, clever way of selling a shirt. Hangman Page is drunk again after he had accidentally nailed Kenny Omega with the buckshot lariat last week, and he's searching for Omega to apologize, and he's stumbling over everything. He goes up to Darby Allen, and he takes off with his skateboard. He's sitting in front of Leva Bates reading. Then he sees someone's back, and he thinks it's Kenny, and he goes up, and the person turns around, and it's not Kenny Omega. It's Riho. And? That's it. That was the joke. He thought it was Kenny Omega and it was Riho. You know what's it, it, it's a lot of work for these guys to like not just have the match on a Wednesday, but I mean filming all this stuff right after the match as well. Yeah, I I would imagine they probably make use of that Tuesday to try and get a lot of this this stuff out of the way, you would think. Um but yeah, it's um you know, this was what if the booking what worth. if the booking changes on the Wednesday? Yeah, like man, you you gotta do um contingency in case someone misses their punches by a mile. You gotta you gotta have leeway for that. 
Kazarian just tells Hangman he's all fucked up, and Paige is about to vomit on Kazarian when we cut away, and we find him. He has fo- he has found Kenny Omega, um, and he falls asleep as he apologizes to Kenny. Nick is uh, still upset about the tag titles. Uh, they're back at the house now for Christmas dinner, and he just says, you know, we should have just booked ourselves to win the tag titles. And then Christopher Daniels walks back in, and all of them are seated around, and Christopher Daniels has prepared his famous Arabian hot chocolate. And you may know where this is going. He says he's waited all year. He has made this Arabian hot chocolate for 20 years. He's been doing this seamlessly. He's never screwed it up. And then he slips, and he dumps the hot chocolate on the floor, and he slipped again. Another botch. And he says, maybe I don't still got it <laughs> with uh, the uh, the Arabian press or whatever he was doing on TV. Arabian uh, hot chocolate. Yes. So <laughs> That's great. Uh, then there was a bit. Th- this one was not funny. The best friends. Chris Statlander is at a coffee machine, and she has this giant um, container that she's pouring coffee and cream into. The best friends walk up to her and said, you're into aliens? She said, no, I am an alien. And said, take me to your leader. Really? So Orange Cassidy approaches her. And as Chris Statlander goes to touch his nose, he stops her. And he touches her nose. And they left together. So he, so Orange Cassidy is an alien? That was He's the leader, I guess. Or at least that's how he was positioned here. So he knows how to communicate with aliens. Wow. Yeah, I, I hope this does not transfer to TV. Michael Nakazawa is fine after the attack from Pac, but he tells Kenny and Matt Jackson he's sick of losing. He feels like a loser. They're selling the effects of uh, Hangman hitting Kenny with the buckshot lariat. Matt is recovering from the Dark Order attack, as is Kenny. Kenny got multiple beatdowns last week, so they're just, they're just beaten down. Nakazawa says, I'm going to take care of this. And then our final scene sees John Silver uh, pull Alex Reynolds aside. This is after the Dark Order attack. And he says, this is not what I signed up for. And Reynolds tells Silver, trust me and trust Uno. And we go into a bathroom where there's a mystery creeper washing blood off of his hands from the attack. And then he throws one of the masks into the trash can. So... There is somebody working within Dark Order um, whose identity is not revealed here. But the idea that either they've infiltrated Dark Order or it's someone that has joined Dark Order, that's going to be a mystery reveal. And I know a lot of people are thinking this is going to lead to Brandon Cutler uh, being revealed. But we'll see where this goes. And and will, will this mole be the person revealed to be delivering the phantom punches? Yes, maybe, maybe it's going to turn out that he didn't want to hurt Dustin. Yeah. And Dustin knew that this guy was working with him, so he was selling. And then Nick Aldis is going to say, we worked all of you. It was all part of the plan. <laughs> so there you go. That was, uh, that was blood on my hands. Uh, that was my viewing for the day, way. So as somebody who, you know... Uh, I think uh, you've commented in the past about how you're you've kind of fallen out of love with being the elite. I don't even know if you're ever in love with it, but certainly I think a lot of people have stopped watching be, being the elite for a while. What was your uh, what was your kind of uh, overall feelings about this? One? I, I probably have not watched the show in 
months. It's it's been a while, I think. Like since the TV started, I have not watched this um regularly. Um uh, you know what? Probably around when we stopped doing the double shot is when I stopped watching it. Um I I thought there was a, there was a lot of good comedy in this. I I I enjoyed the episode overall. I would say the only thing to be that was um just uh flatlined was the Statlander stuff with the best friends. Okay. Everything else was like, you know, it was it was fun. There was a little mystery at the end of this with with the dark order stuff that I think is a, a gimmick that they are very tied to, and I don't see them um, j- just dropping completely at all. It seems like they are very invested. Like this feels like the main angle at this uh, moment, for better or worse. I love how you know they they seem to have, uh, and, and to me this is again always the strength of being the elite that they are able to own a lot of the mistakes that they either make themselves or the fans are you know, placing on them, and it, this is almost just like a space where they could say, "Yes, we know we screwed up." Um, let's move on from it. And here's how we could show that we're fine with it. Um, in fact, we're making fun of ourselves for doing it. So I, it's, it's a great way, I think, to like have that like fun, friendly, like almost like teasing back and forth between the audience and, and the performers. Certainly it gets to be too much, but I think like being the elite is like a really great space and their sense of humor really is, it was wonderful as, as a, as a tool to like almost diffuse that sort of like animosity. You know, like if they did, if AEW did like the red light thing with the fiend and like Seth Rollins was involved in that match, they would certainly poke fun at it on being the elite. And then maybe after that point, all the criticism wouldn't be as big, but who knows? Yeah, I think, I think this is going to be an interesting time where they are facing certain levels of criticism. There's a big spotlight on, on all of them and how how they handle it like it's there's no easy way like is is getting off twitter um a good move for them maybe maybe it is certainly i i could see them just being incredibly busy and twitter not necessarily offering anything you know constructive for for their very busy lives uh so for that reason alone i think getting off of it at least temporarily if not permanently is probably a good choice yeah i mean get outside of that bubble that that can be good or bad for them i mean there's also like part of their charm is that they're so dialed into that world that they're like that's an audience that they they have run towards with a lot of their content dialed in without necessarily having a a space for people to at you um potentially yeah yep you could probably they probably got a bunch of burner accounts (laughs) um hi guys okay so anyway that's gonna wrap up the show Uh, Thank you to everybody for listening. Uh, Again, the Christmas show will be dropping Tuesday, 2 p.m. Eastern time. Uh, I want to wish everyone a a happy holiday, a couple days off. And we look forward to chatting with you on the Christmas show and beyond. Yeah, yeah. Stay tuned. And, you know, stay tuned to store.postwrestling.com. I might be doing a Boxing Day sale. Look out for that. And lots to come in the the coming weeks, including uh, best of, worst of. All of that great stuff. So uh, have a tremendous Christmas, a tremendous holiday, and we will speak with you Tuesday, 2 o'clock Eastern.